Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Casual Criminal Star. As always, I'm your host, Simon. Welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin, who wrote today's episode. It's the pusher, the canal killer of Manchester. I went to Manchester once um, for like a day. Fascinating story, Simon. Why don't you just jump into what people are actually here to see? And that is an episode of True Crime. Let's go. When is a serial killer not a serial killer? When it's a series of similar but unrelated deaths. You may recall the episode on the smiley face killers from a ways back in which it was believed that a gang of people were committing murders and then spray painting smiley faces nearby. As it turns out, a smiley face is among the most common forms of graffiti and you'd be hard pressed to find a murder that wasn't coincidentally near one. The human brain is designed to excel at pattern recognition. We're so good at recognizing patterns that we can identify patterns where they don't even exist. Yeah, it's like looking up at the clouds and being like, oh, look, it looks like a penis. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's, it, it, I mean, it's not. I mean, maybe it does. But if we weren't so good at it, it's, it's like it's not intentional. God's not like crafting penis clouds be funny if he did, though. And that brings us to the subject of today's video, the Manchester Pusher. There's a lot of debate over whether this person actually exists, or if people have simply identified a pattern and constructed a story around it. But if the Pusher is real, he would be one of England's most prolific serial killers, only coming in behind Harold Shipman and possibly the Finchley baby farmers. Let's see if we can figure out the truth as we examine the story of the Manchester Pusher. Ooh, I like I like these ones where it's a bit of a mystery, like where it's kind of like unsolved, and because there's lots of room for speculation and like brain ticking over, which I like. Let's jump in. Origin story. The exact origins of the story are unclear, though it seems to have existed locally for years as a bit of an urban legend. To many people, it was just a joke, and to others, it was the true story of a dangerous serial killer, but it didn't receive any major attention. The common reporting is that the theory was popularly discussed on the hashtag ThePusher on Twitter, but this is entirely untrue. Wait, is this a recent thing? The Pusher sounds like some, like, The Punisher. Oh, God, it's escape. Jack the Ripper. Like, it sounds like some, like, I just imagine this was going on Victorian types. Like, how did people murder people in the olden days? They pushed them in the olden canal. <laughs> it, it, I didn't realize this was modern. After scrolling through 10 years worth of tweets on that hashtag, because I couldn't be bothered to look up how to restrict the search by dates, I discovered that there was almost no activity prior to January 2015. The few tweets about the Manchester Pusher didn't provide any context, so it's clear that people locally were well aware of the idea, but it wasn't a popular hashtag for discussion on the proposed serial killer. It was mostly just people quoting the lyrics to that Steppenwolf song. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. What Steppenwolf side? Ah, damn, the Pusher. 
I've heard of Steppenwolf, no idea what they sing. What changed on January the 11th, 2015 is that for the first time, a major publication released a story about the abnormally high number of deaths in Manchester canals and the fear that there was a serial killer on the loose. That publication was, of course, the Sunday edition of the Daily Star. Yeah, the day... Wait, the Daily Star's not the Daily Sport, right? There's the Daily Sport, which just seems to be a bunch of nudie pics of women. And also, I, I feel like they make up stories. Is the Daily Star like The Onion? I feel like I have to look this up right now. I'm really sorry. Daily Star. I know we're on a tangent already. I apologize. Is a daily tabloid newspaper. I think they're just very quick to press with stuff that, like, I'm looking at their controversy check section, and it's like they printed some stuff that is, like, pretty, uh where they just didn't do very good due diligence or like just really push the line of what's okay and they seem to get sued a lot. <laughs> but apparently they don't make stuff up. I think that's the sport. So the Daily Star is different. It does seem to have actual news. While I'm sure the Daily Star has come up on this channel before, for American viewers who are unfamiliar with the tabloid, it roughly seems to be less credible than the National Enquirer, but more credible than Weekly World News. So basically it's trash. I have no idea what National Enquirer or Weekly World News are. It's like press doesn't seem to cross borders very well between like america and the uk because i'm like what is that but someone says the star is that i immediately i immediately know what you're talking about daily mail is that i know your politics guardian same thing it's like what newspaper you read says a lot about you <laughs> thanks to freedom of information requests because the uk has that as well the daily star was able to reveal that in the previous six years there have been 61 deaths in the manchester canals of course further investigation by a channel 4 documentary proved that this wasn't accurate there hadn't been 61 deaths there had been 85. That's more than one death per month, which is an awful lot of murdering or possibly accidents. Regardless, following the Daily Star's front page story and their rare use of actual verifiable information. <laughs> <laughs> Numerous other newspapers began picking up the story as well. The Manchester Pusher was no longer just an urban legend or a running joke. It was now a full-fledged media sensation. One of the key pieces of information in the story that lent some credibility to the idea of a serial killer was the cause of death. In 28 of the cases, the coroner returned an open verdict. This means that the cause of death could not be definitively determined. While it's a troubling statistic, it's not necessarily that surprising. Many of the bodies spent a significant amount of time in the water before being found, which would remove a lot of the evidence. There was also no witness to the deaths, and they had been caught on CCTV footage. In many cases, that meant that there was simply no way to determine if it was an accident, suicide, or if someone had pushed them in. Even though the open verdicts shouldn't have been surprising, they were still seen as suspicious. So far, I'm very much leaning to the fact that it's like, you can't just be like, look at all these people who died in Manchester's canals, and be like, that's one person who's murdering people. It's like, no, maybe very few of them are murders, Maybe some of them are suicides. Some of them are accidents. It's like all rolled together. Why are you suddenly like... I know why. Because it's like why it's going to sell some papers, isn't it? I mean, the reason this is called The Manchester Pusher is people are going to click on a video entitled The Manchester Pusher rather than The Many Accidents of Manchester's Canal System. Because, you know, <laughs> the, the media, and apparently me, we're kind of pieces of shit. <laughs> But what's more suspicious is the CCTV footage or lack thereof. Many of the bodies were found on or near Canal Street, which is important for a couple of reasons. First, the area is littered with both nightclubs and CCTV cameras. It was a very popular area that should have been full of potential witnesses and not a great place for committing murders. But the volume of cameras in the area is a much bigger deal. These cameras are monitored in real time and many have the ability to move. Not to get up and walk around, obviously, but to turn from side to side. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks for that clarification, Kevin. I don't think anybody was possibly wondering about that. Despite the cameras, the generally high traffic, and the disproportionately high presence of police in the area to keep people safe, none of the victims were seen entering the water. Out of all 85 bodies pulled out of the canal, not a single one had been captured entering the water on CCTV. That's incredibly noteworthy, but still not a smoking gun. One of the reasons these cameras are monitored is that so if someone is seen falling into the canals, they can receive help before it's too late. The waters are incredibly cold and can quickly result in shock and drowning, even from a person who is otherwise fine before entering the water. If the cameras caught someone falling in, they would ideally notify police who would go to rescue the person. Likewise, if there were witnesses to such an event, hopefully the witness would pull the person from the water. So while it makes sense that the people who died are the ones who nobody saw enter the water, it's still an awful lot of people to dodge the high number of CCTV cameras in the area. Again, like right now, I'm like, okay, it's suspicious. But as Kevin says, it's definitely not a smoking gun, is it? The other reason Canal Street was seen as important is because it's a vital part of what is referred to as Manchester's gay village. Because of this, there initially was speculation that the pusher was specifically targeting homosexual men. While some of this speculation persists, it has largely been discredited. Although the alleged serial killer is referred to as the Manchester pusher, the bodies in the canals were found in the entire Greater Manchester area, not just near Canal Street. While a meaningful amount of the victims were likely to have entered the water near one of the gay clubs on Canal Street, it's not even close to the majority of people they found. This larger area in which the bodies were found also includes sections that aren't nearly as well covered by CCTV, some of which are even underground and unlit. So far, it all sounds a bit coincidental. Yeah, agreed, the CTTV thing, it's like, yeah, I'll write that off as mostly a coincidence, no worries. There is absolutely no way that all 85 deaths were the result of murder, though few people would agree that it was even close to that many. But what about the 28 open verdicts? Were these all accidents that simply couldn't be identified by the coroner due to lack of evidence, or was there something more going on here? There are a few victims in particular that draw most attention as being likely candidates for murder. Yeah, I don't, I, I think some probably are murder. It's a lot of people. There's like suicides, there's accidents, probably a couple of murders thrown in as well. Why not? I mean, statistically, I don't know what exactly the stats are of like suicide versus murder versus accidents. Murder's obviously very, very low, but there's still going uh, to be some murderiness going on. The Cyclist The water in the Manchester canals is extremely cold, and you don't have to look far to find official government warnings about the dangers of going in the water. In fact, it's so dangerous that someone who isn't from England might look at it and ask, why the f*** aren't there guardrails? Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's like, yeah, guardrails just don't go near the water. But yeah, th there could be more guardrails, I guess, in England. That, that, or like in general in Europe. I don't know how it is in America. Do you have guardrails and everything? I feel like people sue each other a lot more in America, so there's probably like more incentive for guardrails so people don't fall off and then like mildly hurt themselves and then just have a go at a lawsuit. Um, so maybe that's the reason. I don't know. I don't really have a good comparison. Maybe Kevin's just like, why the f aren't there guardrails? For anyone unfamiliar with the setup of these canals, you have a narrowish sidewalk running alongside the canal. It's normally only about an eight-inch drop to the water, so a person should theoretically be able to climb out. But there are small sections where the drop becomes as much as eight feet. I'm told that at night the water is so dark that it just looks like a street, and a drunk person could walk into it, not realizing it was the water. But the most notable part is that there are giant sections with absolutely no guardrail at all. Many of the areas that do have guardrails are weak and offer little protection. While I even saw some areas where the barrier between the sidewalk and the canal is only a couple of inches off the ground, making it a tripping hazard rather than a form of protection. You actually see you put a guardrail. It's like, wait, you put a guardrail, but it's just tripping people into the river. What have you done? 
Anyway, even with how cold the water is, a person could climb out of the water in most locations so long as they didn't succumb to shock. Pushing somebody in wouldn't be the most reliable means of committing murder, so surely there must be survivors of the pusher, right? To date, there is exactly one person who claims to have survived a brush with the pusher back in April of 2018. Yeah, this is one thing I was thinking. It's like, sure, there's no CCTV footage, but someone just pushes you in a canal. I'd be like... I'm a pretty good swimmer. I, like, I mean, I don't want to be... You never know how it's going to be. You never know how cold it is. But I'm pretty sure I could swim out of a canal and climb up eight inches. And then I'd be like, yo, John pushed me in the canal. <laughs> it was around 10 p.m. when a man was cycling home from work. That's when he saw a figure out of the corner of his eye. The man clotheslined him, catching the cyclist directly in the neck with his arm and sending him toppling into the canal, bicycle and all. What a fucking psycho. The cyclist's leg were tangled up in the bike, and as he tried to pull himself out of the water, the man kicked him back in. The man then fled, and the cyclist was able to pull himself from the water. He then went to a nearby gym to call 999 since the water had destroyed his cell phone. The cyclist described his attacker as a white male, average build, normal hair, age 20 to 40. Hello, I was pushed into the river by the most generic man that has ever lived. Really helpful, dude. You've narrowed the search down a lot. Yeah, agreed. He also asked police about the pusher to make sure that they weren't somehow oblivious to the legend, and, and he described his attacker as a psychopath. I mean, that's fair. Like, some guy you just cycling your own bike and some guy just smashes you in the neck, puts you in a river. You'd be like, you fucking psycho, what the fuck? Even if the pusher is real, there's a lot of debate over whether the cyclist was his victim or not. First of all, he survived when none of the other victims have. Also, he is the only one that was riding a bicycle rather than being on foot. It doesn't really seem to match, but there's some other context that's important as well. I'm beginning to think I might know what this is. Is this guy like... <laughs> is this guy been pushed in the river by a guy who doesn't like people cycling on the pavement? Like, cause you, I, I don't know how it is like elsewhere, but you can't cycle on the pavement in the UK. You have to cycle on the road. It's like, I'm sure it's some like traffic offence or whatever. I can imagine that these like pathways by the um, by the river are not cycle paths. You can cycle on cycle paths, obviously. And so this dude's just really pissed off with a cyclist cycling on the on the pavement. So he's just fucking clothes like him, which makes him a total psycho. I mean, I. <laughs> I was having a chat with a mate of mine, and he's like, "No, I'll just have a little shout at people sometimes." And he was like, he was saying like he was taking for his kids, his kids for a walk, and there was like this. Um, sorry, this is a, this is a total tangent, but he's on like a footpath, and there's a clear sign saying, and it's on a golf course, and he's saying there's a clear sign saying that the golf that the the golfers have to like let people pass on the footpath. And the golfers are like, "Hey, hurry it along!" And he's there with his kids, and he just it's like, "Shut the." Up. I'll, I'll take my bloody time and i'm like whoa okay but people like you know that's an appropriate response or like a reasonably appropriate like you could be like hey you should be riding on the pavement the non-appropriate response is clothes lining someone my response is a slight disapproving look and then getting on with my life i was saying with the golfers to my mate i wouldn't shout at them i'd just completely ignore them and then go as about as slow as i can because you know what they're not gonna do chip a golf ball at you and your kids they're just gonna get really really frustrated with how incredibly slow you're going <laughs> okay sorry back to today's episode the people of manchester f***ing hate cyclists i thought this was pretty universal and we all just talked about how much we hated dealing with bicycles on the sidewalk but i guess manchester takes it to a whole other level people hate cyclists really i mean cycling on the pavement i'm always like oh, come. if you're like cycling on the pavement and then you're being super courteous to pedestrians then I'm like, cool. When someone's cycling on the pavement and they ring their bell at me, I'm like, you can fuck right off. I'm not even moving. <laughs> 
I'm just not moving. And or like anything like that. But I'm, I like cyclists. I think cycling's good. It keeps people out of their cars, to be honest. With little effort, you can find countless stories of pedestrians assaulting people on bicycles. Holy shit. One girl had rocks thrown at her head just for the sin of riding her bike on the pavement. I'm definitely not a fan of cyclists taking up the sidewalk, but that's not an appropriate response. Yeah, it's not. Just being like, hey, off the pavement. There were no other witnesses, so we don't know whether the person involved was even attacked at all. Maybe it was just a clumsy asshole who fell into the water himself and made up the story for attention don't yeah but you can make up a story for attention sure that just makes you like an attention seeker but then calling 999 and going to the police means you're wasting police time and i don't know if that's a crime it's probably like one of those little crimes like a misdemeanor crime right but you shouldn't do that because also the police have like to go and catch real criminals and stuff don't do that we can't be sure but if the pusher is real this certainly doesn't feel like his work fortunately the other victims are much more compelling david plunkett as a uh, very similar name to a former chancellor. <laughs> in April of 2004, 21-year-old David Plunkett thought he had won his Willy Wonka-style golden ticket. He traveled 50 miles from his home in Halifax to a concert in Manchester at the Daytona Racetrack. That concert was Budweiser's King of Clubs, a massive event with no cover charge and an open bar. What the f***? Wait, what? No cover charge and an open bar? How have I never heard of this? This sounds like my scene. But the only catch was that you couldn't buy a ticket, you had to win them. Of course, David didn't actually know that he was going. The event was being held at a mystery venue, likely to keep people from camping outside and trying to sneak in. David and his friend Mike were fortunate enough to attend the event, which included guaranteed travel back to Halifax. Unfortunately, David never received that free ride home. In a set of events that could only be described as unforeseeable, a 21-year-old at a free concert with free booze got too drunk. <laughs> yeah, okay. 21 years old and if i would do a concert for free and they were like it's open bar i'd be like let's go and let's try not to fall in the canal later but i can't say that i wouldn't fall in the canal i'd probably fall in the canal instead of being given safe package back home david was thrown out of the venue because when all those budweiser commercials tell you to drink responsibly it turns out they're not around i don't think i've ever been thrown out of anywhere as far as i can remember <laughs> <laughs> that's that's drunk that's real drunk it was at 1 30 a.m when mike and david's parents stood uh it was at 1 30 a.m when mike called david's parents to tell them that the pair had been separated and david was nowhere to be found oh i'm just having a laugh about being drunk and I f it's quite insensitive because obviously this kid's gonna die isn't he oh what's wrong with you whistle what the f man well kevin also leads me down this path even though i know we're doing a casual criminalist and he's like hey drink responsibly jokes about this why it like leads me into a tangent and then it's like and then there's death what the fuck? they got off the phone with david's parents and tried calling him with david finally answering on the third call but he never said a word all that his mother could hear was breathing that sounded like he was walking beyond that there was total and complete silence she stayed on the phone with him for about eight minutes and that's when the screaming began she described it as ghastly screaming, and David's father said it sounded like David had, had seen something that terrified him. Ooh, that is shivers down the spine, isn't it? When the howls and screams began, his mother handed the phone to his father and dialed 999. The Greater Manchester police officer who answered the phone was able to hear the screams, but the call wasn't recorded. She said that the recording device had failed to work, but wound up resigning in shame following the incident. Oh, it's not your fault that the recording device didn't work. According to the police officer, David's screams were distressing, and in a later interview she said that the incident still haunted her over a decade later with every new report of a body found in the canal she became more and more
more convinced that it was the act of a serial killer. However, the official report said something entirely different. It took two weeks after David's disappearance for his body to be found, but this was not one of those open verdicts. The death was ruled to be an accident. For many people, including David's parents, this answer wasn't satisfactory. Yeah, why was he screaming so much? Why had David not spoken on the phone? What caused him to scream? And if he fell into the water, why wasn't there the sound of a splash? After the screaming had ended, his parents stayed on the phone with him until 4.30am when his phone died. But in all that time, there was just total silence. In 2016, a year after the Daily Star had put the Manchester pusher in the national worldwide spotlight, Channel 4 ran a documentary called Manchester's Serial Killer? Question mark, in which they investigated the suspicious deaths, including David's. The documentary followed former homicide detective Tony Blockley as he investigated these deaths, and he absolutely did not believe that David's death was an accident. Yeah, me neither. It sounds... The, the phone thing... The walking along with the phone... And after answering the call, it could be just like, maybe he's just mega drunk and he's like answered the phone by accident and then put it in his pocket or something. Like you could be like, oh, my mom's calling me. I shouldn't answer that. But then you answer and put it in your pocket or something. I could definitely see myself doing that. And then just like, <laughs> as you're walking. But then the screams, the screams are like, something's up, right? Aside from everything that happens on the phone, there was also the matter of the cuts on David's head and arms. The coroner ruled that these happened when he fell into the canal. Where was the splash? There was no sound of him falling into the canal. But Blockley believed they were most likely defensive wounds from some sort of struggle. Unfortunately, nearly 20 years later, there isn't going to be new evidence in this case, so we may never know the full details. However, on that one, I'm like, well, one's a coroner, one's a detective. The coroner is a guy who looks at bodies and determines what injuries happened. So I'm inclined to believe him rather than the detective, although I'm still like, there's definitely something weird going on here. Nathan Tomlinson Nathan Tomlinson was a 21-year-old student studying to be a gym teacher. On December the 17th, 2010, he went to the Mitre Bar in the center of Manchester for a work Christmas party. At one point during the evening, he received a text from his family. It was a snowy, treacherous night, and they wanted to make sure Nathan didn't drink too much and would be safe. He assured his family that he was pacing himself and drinking shandy. For those unfamiliar, which included me until about five minutes ago, shandy is beer watered down with something non-alcoholic, normally lemonade. You don't have shandy in America? It's like you you have like maybe a fifth or a quarter beer and then you have it with the rest is lemonade. It's nice. It's like what kids drink. Or like, you know, when your parents are having a beer and you're a teenager and they'll be like, you can have a shandy. And then you can have, there's also something called a turbo shandy, which is like half beer and half lemonade. And then there's something called a lager tops, which is where you just have beer and you top it up with a little bit of lemonade. All of them are quite delicious, or at least I remember them being quite delicious. Maybe I'll have a shandy tonight. Like, nice diet lemonade and some uh, some beer. That could be tasty. I think I might actually do that if the weather's good. Fascinating tangent, Simon. Thank you. Of course, people say lots of things, especially to their families. Was Nathan actually pacing himself? There's no real way to be certain, but I'm inclined to think not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, again, like, absolutely a conversation I'd have. I don't think my parents would ever phone to check on me when I was out at the pub. Uh, but they'd be like, you pacing yourself? You're like, yes, mom, absolutely pacing myself. Woo! He left the bar at about 10.15 p.m. after being slapped across the face by an unidentified woman. Get the feeling he wasn't pacing himself, was he? I don't know what precipitated that event, but I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that he deserved it. I think it's also fair to assume that most guys who were trying to pace their intake of alcohol aren't going to do something that would result in them getting slapped, especially at a work function. <laughs> oh my God, that's going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> It's not like you're hanging out with your mates and you do something embarrassing. It's you're there with your colleagues and probably your boss. And you're going to be like, oh no, 
Oh no, it's awkward. That's just my personal speculation, so you're welcome to disagree. I don't disagree. Maybe totally sober guys in the UK do appropriate th- inappropriate things at work parties that get them slapped all the time. I don't think I've ever been to a work party. I don't think I don't think I've ever been to a work event. I've never had a job that was serious enough where there would be a Christmas party or anything like that, at least that I would have to go to. I'd always be too junior in the organization or it would just not be a thing. <laughs> and honestly, I'm pretty happy about that because look, when I hang out with people, they're people I choose to hang out with. They're called my friends. <laughs> they're not like random colleagues they're forced to sit in an office with. Upon leaving the bar, Nathan was picked up by CCTV footage. He was seen exiting the bar and crossing the street. But then it's kind of anyone's guess. Like I said, it was cra- it was a crappy, snowy day, so visibility from the cameras wasn't great. They were definitely following somebody, but were they following Nathan? Wait, who was following him? Did I miss something? He's being followed? That part isn't so clear. He was taking quite a bit of a detour rather than heading directly home as if he was lost and trying to figure out the way. Wait, what's follow? I'm confused. Nathan's just on his way home. And also, he's like lost in his own town. <laughs> he's facing himself, was he? But this actually checks out. A man matching Nathan's description asked a bus driver how to get home to Stockport and for the timestamps on the CCTV footage, as well as the admittedly low-quality images, it sure seems like they were following the same person the entire time. What are you talking about, Kevin? Uh... Are we just talking about... I'm confused. He's not being followed. It's like whether the CCV footages are following him. Like, whether they've accidentally swapped him out for someone else. That's confusing. I've got a tiny brain, Kevin. You have to really spell things out to me like I'm a smart golden retriever. His journey itself is more mostly unremarkable. He does a bit of walking. At the very end, he does a little running. Not from anybody, just into a covered walkway where he would no longer be being snowed on anymore. See, now I'm just like... I'm. I'm retracting some of my earlier statements right now because one i assumed he was in his hometown but he's obviously not and he's asking a bus driver like how do i get back to to this place it's like pre-google maps or whatever so that seems like he's coherent also people who are drunk are not really worried like really drunk are not really worried about getting snowed on and they probably can't run brilliantly so he's running to a shelter to get out of the snow i think he's i don't think he's that drunk to be honest i've changed my opinion in one of the final segments, when he's walking down Adelphi Street in Salford, he started doing something strange. Instead of walking normally as he had been the entire time, Nathan started sliding. It's possible he was slipping as he was walking through snow, and it could have been a layer of ice on top, but it looks intentional. At this point, it's closing in on 11.30 at night, but the person in the footage looked to be intentionally propelling himself, then sliding across the ground, rather than just focusing on getting home where it would be warm and dry. It's the sort of thing a child might do when playing in the snow, which means it's the sort of thing a drunk person might do in the snow as well. I don't know whether I want to admit this, but I'm also the sort of person who'll be like, oh, there's ice. And I'll like, I'll do a little slide and it'll be like, just, I won't be drunk. It'll be like the day. I'll just do it because it's like slightly exciting. So we have two possible options here. Either he was screwing around because he was much more drunk than he led his family to believe, or it was just really slippery out. Either could easily result in the person accidentally falling into the canal without needing to be the victim of a serial killer. But there is one other important piece of evidence that points in the direction of foul play. When Nathan's body was recovered, his phone, passport, wallet, and coat were all missing. Why did he have his passport on him? Why would he have his... Oh, because he's young and he needs ID. And I guess he doesn't have a driver's license or something? I would never take my passport out. I, always, I mean, I think when, I, when we're 17, you can get a, a driver's license in the UK, at least a provisional driver's license. And then you can use that for ID when you're 18. So I would always just use that. But I guess he didn't have that. Even if, even if I wasn't going to learn to drive, I'd still get like a provisional driver's license so it could act as a form of ID so I didn't have to take my passport out and about. Because if you lose that, it's a hassle. And you have to pay like 100-something quid. 
Whereas I think a driver's license, like at least back in the day, it was like 20 quid or something. It doesn't necessarily point to a serial killer, but it does point to a mugging gone wrong. If he kept his phone, passport, and wallet in his coat, something someone could have stolen it from him, followed by an ac- unrelated accidental slip. Or maybe there was a struggle and he was pushed into the canal while a mugger ripped his coat off of him. Or maybe he fell into the water with the coat on. Nathan's body entered the canal near a weir. Some reports indicate that those weirs can tear clothing off a person, so there doesn't need to be anybody else involved. The coat almost certainly would have been recovered from the canal at some point if this happened, but it also probably would have been found first. That means whoever found it would have thought, hey, free wallet, without realizing it was connected to a missing persons case. If people find wallets, do most people steal them? If I found a wallet, I found a couple of wallets in my life, I've always just handed them in to whichever establishment I'm at without taking the money out. And I feel like, isn't that what most people would do? Finders keepers, sweetheart. I would say like 70% of people, 80% of people would hand in the wallet, even if they're, you know, no one saw them pick it up, nothing like that, without taking the money. Am I super naive? Or is that, that feels right. That feels like what most people would do. Now I'm feeling really naive. (laughs) People often like, Simon, you're so naive in the comments. And now I feel like this is one of those naive things. Considering I still don't fully understand what a weir is or how we could remove clothing, I can't say how likely a possibility that is. It's allegedly a reasonable explanation, though in this case a mugging gone wrong sure seems pretty reasonable as well. They both seem super reasonable, and they both are not serial killers. It doesn't help the police were criticized for their handling of the case. It wasn't until four days after he disappeared that Nathan's status was upgraded from low risk despite having disappeared while on foot by the canals in treacherous weather conditions. When the initial missing person report came in, the police were operating under the assumption that he had left the bar with a girl and was enjoying some cuddle time. This was easily refuted by the CCTV footage of leaving the bar alone, not to mention that it's kind of hard to pull after the entire bar sees another girl slap you. While the police response is a little more than disappointing, it wasn't going to change the outcome. Nathan would have been dead within minutes of entering the water, so all they could have hoped for was to find the body more quickly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sovic Pal. The final victim that we're going to be looking at today is Sovic Pal, an 18-year-old design student from India who was attending college in the UK. It was New Year's Eve 2012, and Sovic was excited to go to the club with his friends. But one of his friends was less excited about him coming. Sovic had never been clubbing before coming to the UK, and she was worried that the venue would be too large and intimidating, but he was definitely not intimidated. It began as a normal night, with everyone dancing to celebrate the Earth returning to an arbitrary position in orbit around the sun. Wow, Kevin, you must be so much fun at parties. During the night, Sovic got separated from his friends. He eventually got ejected from the club after attempting to cut in front of the line for the bathroom. He got ejected for the club from that? I mean, why? He must have been drunk as well, right? Because if you just push people and be like, Hey, 
Hey, back of the line. They're not going to be like, yo, bouncer, throw this guy. And he pushed in and be like, well, I'll just send him to, we'll just send him to the back, make him queue. That's the most common way it's reported anyway. More detailed reports note that his attempt to jump the queue involved charging security to try and push past them. So there's that. Uh, it does seem, yeah, I'm like, no one gets ejected from a club for just trying to push in front of the line. After being ejected from the club, Sovic never met back up with his friends or returned home. It took three weeks of extensive searches before his body was found in the canal just 50 feet from the warehouse project nightclub where he had been partying. When they were interviewed, his three friends spoke to the police and said that Sovic hadn't had much to drink that night, but he had taken ecstasy. Lots of ecstasy. He took some a couple of hours before they left for the club and took more while they were at the nightclub. Holy shit, dude. Is one not enough? One of his friends even mentioned how he had been Googling how to sneak drugs past the sniffer dogs that the nightclub apparently used. Police reviewed the CCTV footage and they found something odd. The final confirmed sighting of Sovic was outside the club at about 11pm. However, there was other footage that is believed but not confirmed to be of Sovic. The first piece shows him walking down an embankment towards the canal with another person. This mystery person returns, but Sovic does not. That second person has never been identified and it has been heavily speculated that he is the killer, particularly by Sovic's father. The other piece of footage that is believed to be Sovic shows him trying to climb a fence to sneak back into the nightclub. In the Channel 4 documentary, former defect detective Blockley doesn't buy this explanation at all. He said it would be exceptionally odd as his path back to the club would require him to have to wade through the water. However, there is something that Blockley doesn't seem to address or consider with that analysis, and that's that Sovic was high as a kite. I don't know when he took his first dose of ecstasy, when he took it again once inside the club, or how long he was at the club before they were thrown out. But what I do know is that it doesn't really matter, because ecstasy lasts for a good six hours. Would it be weird to climb a fence and walk through freezing cold water to try and get back into the nightclub? Little bit. Yeah, but would it seem that weird to a person who was tripping balls? Probably not. You'd just be like, it's not that cold. Let's go through the river. I bet they'll let me back into the club then. Let's climb that fence. <laughs> The really the thing that's really weird is that there's no footage of Sovic falling or being pushed into the water. He's purportedly seen on CCTV walking down the embankment with someone else and seen attempting to climb the fence. The other person is seen walking up, but Sovic is not, and yet he also isn't seen falling off the fence into the water or being pushed. To this day, police aren't even sure where he entered the water, and his case was one of the ones that returned an open verdict. Yeah, okay, but this is like one of those ones where it's like we don't know. There's no evidence for murder, but there's also no evidence against murder. And at that point, you've got to be like, you've got to assume no murder, at least in my opinion. A sensible explanation. So what exactly is going on here? Is the pusher a serial killer who has taken the lives of dozens of individuals? Or is it just a joke slash urban legend that got taken too far by a tabloid newspaper? Well, let's take a look at the victims as a whole. Of the 85 people who had been found dead in the canal during the period it was initially reported on, 72 of them were men. Most of those men were also college age. This is not surprising for reasons that point away from murder. Yeah, it's like, bro, I'm going to like a festival where there's free booze. People gonna fall in the river. Like, I went to a university, although I never heard of anyone falling in the river, but I went to a university where there was a river. But there were guardrails. It was like, it was a guarded river. It wasn't like an open canal. And it was only one. It was right in the center of town. You'd have to be a big fool to like manage to fall in the river. But I bet people did. And I bet people just jumped in the river in the summer because, yeah, get drunk, drunk, jump in a river. 
It's like sort of stupid shit the university students get up to. Many of these cases were ruled as accidents, and many of them almost certainly were. Alcohol played a lot of a role in a lot of these deaths, which would probably go without saying given how many people who left nightclubs or bars possibly after being thrown out. And as any man can tell you, one of the best parts of having a penis is that you can urinate absolutely anywhere with incredible ease. Yeah. <laughs> I remember once I was at university. Like, speaking of, like, ways you can get injured, I, <laughs> I once got drunk and did end up in hospital. <laughs> It was like, I mean, we just went out, you know, went clubbing with my mates. And it's like walking back, walking back just with a mate of mine. And there's, there's, there was this, I can't remember what it was. It was like a big sculpture or something. <laughs> it had been pouring with rain. So I think it's a great idea to climb up on top of this sculpture, which is kind of like has this little like slidey thing down one side. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to climb up this sculpture and slide down. And it's soaking wet. <laughs> uh, slide down the other side. I slide down, fall off the side, smack my head on it. And I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine, let's go home, let's carry on. And then I feel the back of my head and I'm like, oh no, my hand's covered in blood. <laughs> and I'd cut my head open and I had to go to hospital. I had like five stitches in the back of my head. I still have a scar there. I still have a little scar. And I sometimes uh, cut it shaving and stuff. It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's a little reminder. <laughs> but like university students, we do stupid when we're drunk. Fascinating tangent, Simon. Thank you. Carry on. So what are we talking about? Men having to being able to piss wherever they want? Okay. And even if they weren't taking a leak prior to the deaths, it still makes more sense that men would be more likely to accidentally fall into the canal than women would be. Oh, they're falling in while they're having a piss. Yeah, I'd definitely piss in a canal. If I was drunk, I could fall in that canal. I could absolutely see that happening. When I go walking for exercise, they normally do it around two or three in the morning. Okay. I have no problem doing this because even though I'm alone late at night and sometimes in unlit areas, as far as I'm concerned, I'm the scariest person walking around up there. I'm not actually scary, but I'm big and I have resting bitch face. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. I've never met Kevin. I have no idea how big he is. So I suspect any would-be attacker would opt for a different target. But women don't think that way, and rightfully so, especially since they're far more likely to be chosen as targets. Women generally have the good sense not to travel alone at night, which would make them far less likely to be the ones winding up in the canal. If the pusher was real, he would prefer to target someone alone. If these are accidental deaths, having someone with you means there's someone to help get you out of the water. Given this, is it possible that all of these deaths were just accidents, a bunch of mostly men who got too drunk and fell into the canals while walking alone? Well, look, probably not. Many of the bodies found in the canal did not have their wallets, which meant there's a good chance that at least some of these people died as a result of a mugging gone wrong. And the mugging gone wrong where you kill someone is also called a fucking murder. Even taking into account the weird thing that I still don't fully understand, it's just a weir. Do you not have weirs in America? It's like just this like tumbling water that goes down instead of like having a lock. Is that, it's not copy a uniquely British thing. Let me look up weir. Weir. Weir is a barrier across the width of a river that alters the flow characteristics of water and usually results in a change to the height of the river level. It doesn't say anything about it being British. Is a weir. Also, at least some of the people must have kept their wallet in their pants instead of their jackets. Of course, that still doesn't point to a serial killer. It points to a bunch of potentially unrelated incidents, but not to a serial killer. Exactly. There are sections of the canal with underground walkways that are completely unlit. These would be the perfect location to rob somebody, and I'm sure lots of people have had that idea. It could be unrelated criminals or some sort of roving gang, but it's a reasonable explanation for some of the victims. Yeah, I'm, I've never been a victim of any like, violent crime. I've never been mugged. I've never been attacked. Knock wood. 
I've never done any of this. And I feel like I've walked through some sketchy parts. I used to live in a pretty sketchy part of London. I mean, like, I don't know. And I'm not a giant dude. I'm like 5'11". I guess I'm not exactly the best mugging target ever. But people, I mean, I would be if people knew that I'd just be like, take it, take it. I'm so sorry, please. <laughs> Do you want something else? Do we go to a cash machine? However, police actually disagree with this and claim that these muggings are extremely rare. Of the bodies found in the canal, there is one that was identified as being a mugging victim, and the five people who assaulted him were promptly arrested. Another one of the bodies was the attacker in a mugging who wound up falling in himself. Those aren't the only cases that the police are willing to attribute to robberies getting bungled, but they also have 28 ver open verdicts. So, well, what do they know? The other explanations just seem too plausible to justify the invention of a serial killer, and there's also some other important data that we haven't mentioned yet. Manchester isn't the only city in the world with canals like this, so maybe we can compare the numbers. Manchester has just over 12 deaths per year in the canal, so what about another city like Amsterdam? As it turns out, Amsterdam averages 18 deaths per year in the canals. Of course, Amsterdam has more canals than Manchester does. The city has a little more than 50% more kilometers of canal, which works out nicely since they have 50% more deaths in their canals than Manchester does. I could also bore you with a bunch of additional numbers, but just assume that the rate of death in the Manchester canals is within one standard deviation of what we would expect, how many kilometers of canals they have. I had no idea Manchester had so many... I mean, Amsterdam's got an insane number of canals. It's like mostly canal. Um, I didn't realize Manchester had half the number of canals Amsterdam had. That seems quite nice. And in all the places that have these canal deaths, there is one common thread. It's predominantly young, drunk men who are dying. Honestly, it feels like this is pretty open and shut, and it's no wonder the police constantly deny the existence of the pusher or that any of these deaths are related. When it comes to stories like these, it's important to remember what the source is. There are a lot of articles available about the Manchester pusher, but virtually everything comes back to one of two sources, the Daily Star or the equally garbage Daily Mail. In fact, a lot of the articles you'll find are simply reports from the Daily Star or Daily Mail copy verbatim. Of course, tabloids are going to push a sensational story like this over the much more boring, unfortunate drunk men fall into canal. And I'm pretty sure that I came up with the idea for today's episode and I was like, ooh, Manchester Pusher sounds interesting. A serial killer I've never heard of in Britain, no less. And then I, I even remember this now. Kevin wrote to me and was like, Simon, the Manchester Pusher's not real. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, it's just from this. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a good thing to explore anyway. So here we are. And uh, yeah, here we are. The problem with this is that obviously they're going to emphasize unimportant details or omit things that damage their narrative. For example, there have been hundreds of articles posted about David Plunkett since the Pusher story made news in 2015. They all say he got separated from his friends at a concert, but it was only a tiny article from the BBC in 2005 that mentioned he was thrown out of the venue for being too drunk. The article had quotes from his parents confirming that piece of information, and they even explained that they weren't going to sue Budweiser for his death. The short answer to that is because this didn't happen in America. That wasn't their answer, it's just the real answer. <laughs> I don't know, like, we're not, like, completely non-litigious. I, uh, I do think that that would be a lawsuit that would go absolutely nowhere in the UK. Um, and I imagine it would also go nowhere in America, surely. It's a bit, you know... Budweiser invites you to somewhere and there's an open bar. That would be like, okay, so you went to a wedding and the bride and groom had an open bar wedding and someone gets too drunk and drowns in a lake. And then they sue you for having open bars. Absurd. Anyway, exactly how drunk David was isn't something that anyone reports. Likewise, it's difficult to find references to Nathan being slapped, and I haven't seen any mention of him screwing around in the snow other than what I saw with my own eyes. Lots of articles mention that Sovik's friends told police he hadn't had much to drink that night, but it'd be hard for us to find one that follows up saying that he was high on ecstasy. 
I'm not trying to character assassinate the victims or anything like that, but it is important information for determining what the most likely thing happened actually was. If the pusher was real and there was a serial killer on the loose, then yes, I would absolutely want police to catch him. But if the allegedly mysterious deaths can be more easily explained as accidents, once we have a picture of how intoxicated the victims were and what their behavior was like prior to their deaths, then there isn't any benefit to trying to instill fear in people by manufacturing a serial killer. I mean, there is a benefit. For like the Daily Star and the Daily Mail to make some money. I mean, for tabloids there is because they want the money. Kevin and I, same page. But the rest of us should try to do better, I think. Maybe I'm wrong on this one and Live Simon will come back to me with a watch time analysis. This is going to be a proper scolding for not pushing the conspiracy narrative harder. No, I'll never be one to do this. Like, and I know because I see videos out there and there's going to, you, you YouTube search this and there's going to be like the Manchester pusher, the serial killer crime that was never solved. And you'll click on it and it'll just be an hour of like, the serial killer is real based on the Daily Star that wrote this. And it's like, yeah, because it's like really compelling. And it's like, oh my God, how fascinating. And it's less interesting when it's not real. And this video will have less views. But I'd rather be honest and have less views, to be honest. But of all these cases, the one that still bothers me is David's. The phone call is just so bizarre and it doesn't really make sense. Drunk people can still talk, even if what they say isn't necessarily coherent. My initial assumption was that maybe his attacker was right next to him and he kept the phone in his pocket when he answered to make it stop ringing. But his mother could hear him breathing on the phone, so it couldn't have been in his pocket. And then there was the screaming. I don't have any rational explanation for this, and it's odd to me that the case was ruled an accidental death rather than returning an open verdict. Yeah, you were also very willing, the coroner, pre to return all these open verdicts, and then this one you're like, nah, it's an accident. And it's like, this is the one that is really suspicious. It's completely bizarre, and even the pusher isn't a good explanation for it, as an encounter with the pusher sounds like it would have been extremely brief. If it was just testimony from his mother, then maybe I could justify it as her mishearing or something. But the mother, father, and the police officer who answered 999 all heard David's screams. I don't even have a guess as to what happened to him, but I'm willing to rule out an accident. Yeah, me too. That is suspicious, and I don't know what happened to him, and I think it's a bit irresponsible that they closed it as an accidental death when clearly there was something else going on there the manchester pusher has gone from a joke to an urban legend to a media sensation and all the evidence and logical reasoning tells us that no such serial killer exists it's unlikely that all these deaths were purely accidental but it's even less likely that the ones that remain were the work of a single serial killer which means it would be the perfect crime think about it oh come on <laughs> now we are getting conspiratorial. It's known that people accidentally fall into canals with some regularity, so would it really be that hard to push someone in and get away with it? As long as you know how to avoid the CCTV cameras, it should be pretty trivial. Just picture yourself walking along the narrow sidewalk by the canal, you reach a secluded area, and when some drunken sod has stopped to take a leak on their way home, you pass them. You just reach out your arm and give them a little shove. You'd never even break your stride because you know that the person is too drunk, too drunk to escape from the icy water so there's no need to stay and make sure that the job is done it'd be so easy to do and just as easy to get away with perhaps the greatest trick the pusher ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist or maybe he really doesn't exist and it's mostly accidents with a few unrelated acts of violence it's probably the last one yeah i'm with you kevin 100 it's the last one though the confidence with which i'm willing to declare that only furthers my belief that it would be very easy for someone to actually become the pusher if they wanted to don't encourage people to become the pusher kevin <laughs> But even if one or two murders have been committed this way, based on the relative numbers from other cities with canals, it doesn't seem like there's a genuine serial killer at large. Well, Kevin, unless all of those other cities with canals also have their own individual pusher.
Maybe pushers are everywhere. I'd like to end this episode with an open letter to the cities of Manchester, Birmingham, and Amsterdam, and anywhere else that, where this is a problem. Dear City Council, build some f***ing barriers or guardrails along your canals. And I mean real ones, not a little rope that's six inches off the ground. Seriously, you have tons of people dying in your canals every year. <laughs> I'm sure the taxpayers would be willing to pay the additional one-time fee of like 50 cents to build some proper protection. Drunk people are idiots too, so you should probably build them at least six feet high so you can't easily hop over them. This is a simple problem with a simple solution. Get your sh** together. Love always, some loudmouth American. Yeah, fair play, Kevin. Fair play, they should build some barriers. I'm pretty sure they had barriers in the, in the river where I went to university. Get some more barriers going, come on now. I feel like Amsterdam does have barriers somewhere, right? Do they? I don't know. No, that's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for watching, and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.